Today, we look ahead to one of the most major milestones of our lives when we graduate into retirement. Now, here's our valedictorian and certified financial planner practitioner, Eric Brotman, your host of Don't Retire, Graduate, the podcast that teaches you how to advance into retirement rather than retreating. Get ready for inspiration and actionable advice to guide you towards a seamless transition into a dignified retirement where you get to make your dreams a reality. Welcome to Don't Retire, Graduate. I'm Eric Brotman, your host, and this is episode seven of our very first season. And today we have a special guest in studio, a longtime friend and, uh, and an ally of BFG Financial Advisors, and that's Tina Bellavo, the founder of Bellavo Group. Um, and a Baltimore native. Tina, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Eric. Tina is, um, uh, she, she won't toot her own horn the way I, I would like to, but um, in, the, in the real estate world, the residential real estate world, Tina's a, a true rock star, um, running one of, the, one of the most preeminent firms in the Baltimore area with almost 15 years experience, growing exponentially, uh, and she's our go-to. She's our go-to for clients. She's our go-to for friends and family. Uh, and she's our go-to personally. So Tina's going to share some, some thoughts with us today, not only about uh, the residential real estate biz, but also about how that relates to retirement and how that relates to um, making big decisions when we're ready to graduate into retirement, specifically related to whether we should downsize or retrofit our home or, or do other things. So Tina, I guess first, Share with us a little bit about how you got into this business and why. Sure, so thank you for having me. I got into the business in college as an assistant to a very successful realtor, learned the business through her and discovered that I really loved it. And I've been full-time in the industry since 2007. So the majority of my career, I personally sold real estate, built a personal practice, and eventually formed my own real estate team, which is the Bellavo Group. And since 2007, I and my team members have sold over 1,500 homes throughout the Baltimore metro area. And about two and a half years ago, I also took on the opportunity of leading and running a local real estate brokerage called Keller Williams Legacy that sells over 2,000 homes per year. And at this point, we are now a three-location enterprise in Timonium, Pikesville, and Westminster. I oversee all three offices and support over over 500 agents, in addition to continuing to have my team, the Bellavo Group. So I'm excited to bring the perspective of everything I've learned from all aspects of working in the residential real estate space. Well, for those of you listening in the Baltimore metro area, you've seen the Bellavo Group signs because they're omnipresent. They're everywhere. Um, and for those of you out of, uh, uh, out of the area, um, this is one of those conversations that I, I believe will translate nicely to folks all around the United States, which is making some of these, these types of decisions. So, um, Tina, you went, to, you went to Towson. Yep. You're local. Yes, indeed. Um, you really know the marketplace here. Um, before we get into some of the, the retirement implications, can you tell us what's going on in the, in the real estate world and in the real estate markets? Are we going to have a good spring? Yeah, we're definitely teed up for a good spring. It's interesting. The market has been increasing very consistently since 2012, which was pretty much the bottom in the Baltimore metro. And at this point, prices have recovered very well relative to the, the bottom of the market. And we're actually starting to see signs of the market cooling down and becoming a little bit more of like a stable market. Statistically, we often say it's either a buyer's market or a seller's market. Right now, we're, we're kind of right in the middle. 
And real estate, as many people know, is really hyper-local. We look at the neighborhood level more than the zip code or regional or state level. And depending on the neighborhood, it can vary significantly. And that's one thing that'll probably fold a lot into the conversation we're about to have is knowing the numbers and, and knowing really what's going on in your particular area to make informed decisions about what to do with your home. So let's start the, the spectrum here um, with first-time buyers because there's a, there's a wild spectrum from the, the folks who are going to buy their first home all the way to the folks who are going to potentially sell or downsize the home and move into their last residence during their, during their lifetimes. And of course, everything in between. And then we also want to touch a little bit on uh, rental markets and for those folks who, uh, who want to use real estate as an investment in addition to a, as a nest. So let's begin at the beginning. Um, first time home buyers. Um, what can you, uh, what wisdom can you espouse on someone who's looking to do this for the first time? How can they have their ducks in a row in advance? Another great question. I've, I've been thinking in preparation for this conversation, the theme that runs through my mind every time I think about any of those aspects you just mentioned is, is knowing your numbers and doing your homework beforehand. One thing that my team and many good realtors do is before we even take someone out to see a home, we sit down and have a very thorough consultation. For us, it's normally a full hour of questions, if not a little bit more, to gain clarity on exactly what is going to be right for you. So it's very common to go see pretty houses and be swept away emotionally and make a buying decision that's not in your best interest. It happens all the time, especially with new construction and you know the homes are beautifully staged and it can become very emotional. So my first piece of advice would be to back up and do that homework first. And that's usually best done with a expert, experienced real estate agent who can walk you through all the different components of your decision. The first should always be financial preparation, credit, down payment, um, even just being psychologically prepared to be a homeowner and bear the responsibility of when things go wrong. It's very different than being a renter. And then of course, making a great buying decision, which relates back to the area you choose to be in and then the type of house you select and your features and your non-negotiables. So in our experience, having a conversation about that that's extremely thorough at the outset greatly increases the probability of an easier buying experience and making the right decision. So one of the things that we do at BFG is uh, counsel people not necessarily to take um, to take advice from their mortgage broker directly, only because unfortunately there's the inherent conflict of interest that mortgage brokers are paid more if the mortgage is larger, and therefore they will often tell folks how much house you're, you can qualify for, and not necessarily how much house you should consider. So how do you, how do you um, walk that delicate line where folks say, but I qualified for $500,000 for my first home, and you say, y y you did, but maybe maybe that's not the best move. Do you rely on folks like us? Do you rely on uh, on folks internally? What is your process for, um, for managing expectations? Yeah, there's a few pieces to that. So the first piece is we have developed partnerships with people we trust because on the mortgage, on the loan officer side of things, there's not just the purchase price you qualify for, it's what it's going to cost you on a monthly basis. And what I find is depending on who pre-qualifies or pre-approves you, you'll you hear both of those terms, they mean slightly different things, but essentially whoever performs that process might tell you the purchase price or loan amount you qualify for. What's sometimes missing, especially if you work with an online lender or don't have a conversation and it's just over email and not really that consultative approach that I recommend, you could be missing the monthly payment. 
you could be missing hearing the spectrum of the different price points you could be in and what that would cost you again on a monthly basis and also the cash needed at closing and where you can get that from, where you can't get that from. Um, loans are highly regulated. There's a lot of things that people don't expect about where you can transfer money from and whether you can borrow it and how you need to document it. So, um, so kind of the bad news is there's another significant time investment that should be made in the beginning of having that detailed mortgage consultation that in our process as a team, we actually have that done before you sit down with us. And okay. So that, with that, and that certainly makes some sense. There's a, um, th- there's not only the the closing costs and what it what it costs to get the keys. Um, there's then the cost to make that house your home. Yes. Um, and interior designers are quick to say it'll cost you about thirty percent of the price of a home to make it yours. From things like window treatments, that I confess, when I bought my first home, I didn't know what a window treatment was. I'm sorry, I know what it is now, actually. But nonetheless, there, there are these, these things that happen, and it's not just furniture. It's, it's, it, unless it's new construction, you're gonna go in and you're gonna do floors and you're gonna do walls and you're gonna do lighting and you might even do bathrooms or kitchens or other things. Um, I hate rules of thumb. I really don't like them. And so I'm not going to ask you for one, but how do you prepare people for that cash need? Because that's not something you can put into the mortgage, typically. That's something you need to have cash or other credit and we don't like to see folks run up a lot of debt just to, to put uh, carpet down, right? Yeah, and you know, one piece of it in the consultation, we work hard to get extreme clarity on how move-in ready of a home do you need because some people aren't financially prepared to do exactly what you just said. And it's a huge shock to find out how much window treatments cost is a perfect example you gave. So there's the the financial piece of it. And then also some people are handy and envision making changes, some people don't. So again, having that conversation in the beginning so that we can crunch the numbers, that's part one. Part two that is just as important is what happens in the home inspection, who you select for the home inspection, what the results are, how you interpret those results, and estimate what those expenses are going to be. And then part three is the piece that is, I think, hardest for everyone to accept is once you move in the house and live there for a while, there are things that sometimes just can't be found in a home inspection or show up later, and that's the unanticipated. So all of that, it, it's very custom to the person, to the house you select, to what you find in the home inspection. So to a large degree, it's having a really good grip on the entire process and having experts guiding you along the way. That's great. Now, I'm, I'm the least handy person you've ever met. In fact, there are high fives in our house when a light bulb was changed effectively. So that's really, you know, I, I certainly am not one of those people who, oh, yeah, I'm going to go lay some tile in the, uh, in the new bathroom. So, all right, now let's, let's, let's move beyond first-time buyers. Uh, actually, before we do that, uh, rules of thumb, again, I don't like, but there's one thing that in, under no circumstances can ever be considered a good thing, and that's PMI. Hmm. I hate PMI. And for those of you who don't know what PMI is, PMI is an opportunity for a mortgage company to charge you money to protect them from you. Worst deal ever. Um, how much do you get involved in counseling folks to try and avoid that? How, how big a deal is that? Great question. It really depends on the financial situation of the buyer. So you can avoid PMI by putting 20% down. And a lot of people aren't in the position to do that. So we take... I, my mindset is extremely consultative. I, I won't always tell you what to do, but I will help you understand the pros and cons of the decision. So depending on the down payment available, I just make sure people understand 
what all of those expenses are, which ones are probably tax deductible or not, and refer them to the right people to make sure they have clarity on that. The reality is in, in the world we live in and you know the sort of the millennial demographic, seeing people be ready with 20% down is a challenge. So we come across PMI all the time. Okay, um, you, brought up, um, you brought up a very good point, which is um, this, this idea, not only of being uh, consultative, but also this idea that there's some tax ramifications of homeownership. They changed pretty radically January 1st of 2018. Yes, they did. Not only radically, but a little bit after the fact and retroactively and everything else. This was a pretty rushed tax bill. And, and I never want to talk politics in here, but the, the, the ramifications of not being able to write off necessarily all of your real estate taxes do change that game a little bit. Um, and by doubling standard deductions, now not everybody even itemizes. So in some cases, mortgage interest won't benefit you financially in any way. How are you coping with that? Is that is that raising a lot of questions or are people sort of not even realizing that that's a conversation to have? I would say it's a little bit more the latter of what you said. Very few people are educated on that matter. And, you know, depending on the market that you're in and the, the home value in, in our area, it doesn't come up as much until you're in the slightly more luxury price points. Yet at the end of the day, I've had people specifically be surprised when they thought they could write their PMI off and they couldn't especially depending on their income and things like that. So it's a real challenge. And one thing I encourage people to do is at least to look at it at a very simple level of whatever your monthly payment is and what your obligation is, please make sure that is not the maximum of your comfort zone. And right. you, you have to be living within your means and be in reality around that. And that's a huge challenge that we have in the conversations, which is why we've become so fastidious about having a consultation at that level. Sometimes people don't understand why we want to get together and sit down in the office for an hour before we can go show them the house they really want to see. But it really is an effort to save people from themselves and making emotional decisions instead of business decisions. That's that's excellent advice. And saving people from themselves is something we do every day here <laughs> as well, or try uh, as best we're able. So let's fast forward. Now, now we're talking about folks who are um, uh, mid-career, Sandwich generation, folks who look a lot like me. Parents getting older were worried about, kids to educate, working 60 hours a week, busy people, um, trying to figure out, are we in the home we're going to stay in long term? You know, is my nine-year-old going to come back from college to visit me in the home that I'm in now? Or is there one more move um, prior to the, the retirement conversation? Um, how consultative is that and how difficult and emotional is that decision? Frankly, it's much more complex because there's there's a lot of components that go into it. Yet at the end of the day, when you're going to sell a home and then buy a home at the same time, there are a whole slew of new layers that weren't present when you're buying a single home for the first time. So there's fully evaluating the buyer side of the picture as we just outlined. And then on top of that, fully evaluating the picture of the home that you sell and what options you have and how all of that fits together. So there's the numbers of, of what your home is worth now and or what it could be worth with different levels of improvements, which is extremely consultative. And then on top of that, if you were to sell, what is out there that you could buy? And then even just crunching the numbers on the closing costs on a sale and a purchase, buying and selling homes is extremely expensive, paying real estate commissions, taxes, fees, moving, et cetera, et cetera. So again, it, it does come back to those numbers of understanding what's the whole picture. Mm -hmm. And then is it worth it for the type of move you're thinking? Sometimes when people really look at that whole picture, it doesn't make sense. And many times it does. And then it comes back to 
personal reasons of, of why you would do that in the first place. We, we tell folks to expect to spend 7% of the sale price to sell and 3% to buy. I think that might be a little bit high, um, but we try and manage expectations that way. If we expect seven and it turns out to be six and a quarter, we're happy, right? Am I close? Uh, am I missing something? So you're in the right ballpark. It will vary by state depending on the cost of the transfer tax. So Maryland is a higher transfer tax state, for example. So depending on- I'm shocked. <laughs> I know, right? So depending <laughs> on the commission rate, and even in Baltimore City, the, the property taxes, there are these these incremental pieces that accrue, it can be as much as 8%. Okay. And then on buying, it can be as much as 4 to 5% in addition to the down payment. That percent goes down the more expensive the house is because some costs are fixed. Ah, okay. So it's a regressive cost structure, mm -hmm. frankly. Yeah. Because it's per transaction, not necessarily per uh, for the size. Yeah, and it's still going to be close to 4% at least on the buy side. 4%. Not including the down payment. <laughs> four percent. So four percent to buy, eight percent to sell. I'm going to reconfigure all of of our um, all of our estimates. Thank you for that. And can I add one thing? Of course. One piece that people often underestimate, especially on this the selling side, which maybe we'll talk about more in a moment here, is making repairs after a home inspection, even just staging your house. Depending on what you choose to invest in, quite frankly, it could be more than that. Well, and I and I've seen I've seen some of the staging you do, some of the video staging, and some of the some of the things that that your team specifically does, and I, and I'm blown away. Um, you make me want every house I see online, which is, I guess, the purpose yes, and the it point. Is. So well done, <laughs> thank you. Well done. Um, let's let's now talk about our um, our core audience, which is those folks who are contemplating retirement and not contemplating it in the way. Um, that prior generations thought of retirement, which is sort of uh, disappearing and retreating and Oprah and shuffleboard and, and sitting around, but thinking of it as the next launching pad to the next, uh, the next big exciting thing in our, in our lives. Do you downsize? Do you stay in the big house? Do you, do you change it so that you can, um, you know, if you don't have a rancher and you have stairs, at what point do you worry about that? Um, this opens up a hundred conversations. We only have time for like three. So what, what are the biggest considerations when you're having a discussion with someone about do we, uh, do we downsize or do we stay put? Yeah, so the first thing that I would say is getting clarity on where you would go and what you would change about the home. Because a lot of the time, it's driven by getting to be one level or far less square footage, less maintenance, the home itself or the amount of property that you own. So those are pieces that we talk through with people frequently that really matter. A lot of the time, the, the empty nest move is often driven by moving out of area. And then there's the whole other component of making sure you have great consultation most likely moving somewhere that you're not familiar with. Mm -hmm. So those would be the, the key pieces of, do I move, do I not move, and, and why would I? And then the other piece is really knowing the numbers of the home that you have, what is it worth? And I'd love to dive in on this specifically of, how can I maximize the value? Please. Okay, so one thing that I became passionate about working with sellers, especially um, in my career trajectory as I was really building my business, the market was going down. And what it took to sell homes was a much more significant, comprehensive effort than in 2005 when I first got my real estate license. So we made a specialty as a team of 
doing a very thorough analysis of everything we could do to help people maximize value, especially when I was often giving them very bad news of what their home was worth relative to what they thought or what it used to be worth. So evaluating what's going on in the neighborhood and what the maximum value could be contingent on making different repairs and upgrades to the home. And the thing about that is that there's a ton of nuance in all the different things you could do to improve your home, which ones have a higher return than others, and how far you go in any of those segments. So how nice do you make your kitchen? Do you make it you know, completely luxury and spend, I mean, depending on the size of the kitchen, it could be 50, 80, $100,000, way more than that, or Tina, if I spend that on a kitchen, I'm never moving. <laughs> so there's that. Yeah, okay. well, well, what I found in consulting with many, many sellers is that they had spent money like that at times and had just assumed they would get a full 100% return, if not more. So really becoming an educator of people of, of how home values really work and what the ROI is. There are very few things that have even 100% return on investment in resale especially if you did it a few years ago, it might already look a little shabby or be off trend. The great thing is what I figured out through working with a lot of sellers in that period of time is there are certain things that always make a huge impact and they can be very affordable. Let's let's hear them. That sounds okay. great. So paint is number one. And right, I'll give you two number ones. Curb appeal, so the first impression, the front of the house, just literally the front of the house, the mailbox, the light fixtures, the siding, the landscaping, fresh mulch, is everything clean and tidy and how much could just be touched up, not necessarily renovated. And then complete painting of the interior. Those are the top two. Okay. Now complete painting of the interior can be a very expensive endeavor. It can be. And it's also a very personal thing where some people decide, gosh, I really didn't want a purple bedroom. Yes. Um, how do you walk that line? Yeah, the advice that I give sellers is you want your home to feel neutral and clean and in, at least in the world I live in and what I like to see, like you're walking into a boutique. It, it's like a walking into like a high-end retail experience where things are clean, it's a little bit sparse, there's nothing really in the way of envisioning yourself in that space. Got it, so you're not seeing pictures of the, the kids and the families. They, they, I've heard that it's better to you know, depersonalize some of that? or Yes, I, I would say it's more about the clutter level than what the decor is, although there's a lot of nuance to this as well. Some people's homes are beautifully decorated, very personalized, and it looks like a model home and it's highly appealing and very effective. And then there are other things, other decor that are not helpful to the sale. <laughs> got it, got it. So it really comes down to your home, but the rule of thumb is that and it's an interesting thing about the way homes photograph. In person, it might look okay, yet in a picture, it'll translate as more cluttered. So what I often coached my clients to do was to make their home look more sparse. It'll feel kind of empty in, in real life, yet in a photo, it looks ideal. Got it. So for many people, uh, our home is our biggest asset. I mean, there are certainly some business owners and some other types of things, but a lot of times your home is your biggest asset on your own balance sheet. And there's this idea that it's imperative to have your home paid off to retire, which may or may not be true, and there's nuance to that. There's also this idea that if you have a bunch of your net worth tied up in your real estate, in your personal real estate, 
that you have an unemployed asset that's not helping you live in retirement comfortably. And so we've seen the, uh, the advancement of reverse mortgages and this whole idea that you can tap your own equity and that you can enhance your lifestyle that way or that you can be debt-free otherwise or that you could eliminate a payment and help your cash flow. Um, we're not doing a show on reverse mortgages. I'm not putting you on that spot. But do you see or do you get involved in conversations specifically about that, um, particularly on like the reverse purchase side, the idea that, that if, if you're downsizing and you put 50% or so of the value of the new home down that you could move and not have a mortgage payment, is that a good, are you seeing that? Is that uh, trending? You're asking a great question. And it's funny because all of my experiences with reverse mortgages were when the market went down and how that didn't work out for the people who had done that. So I think on that note, the only thing I would say is if you're going to consider a reverse mortgage, your plan has to be rock solid and you need to be working with an expert like you. That's almost my answer to the entire question you just asked me okay. is, um, is I think that there's a lot of strategy and it's like, okay, well, if I'm gonna put less down on my new purchase, do I have a plan for what I'm doing with the other excess equity? So I would I would just ask, well, what is the financial plan? And if you don't have one, let's talk about that before you make any changes here. Got it. Um, one thing we counsel folks who are exploring that is to plan not to move. Because quite frankly, even when markets are rising, they often don't rise as much as the, as the increased uh, liability on the home and they're expensive. So that, that can be challenging. So, well, we are um, unbelievably running out of time. I could talk to you all day, Tina, but um, one of the things on our show that we do at every episode, at the end of every episode, is because of our theme and the fact that this is a graduation, everybody likes extra credit. So here's your chance to give an extra credit assignment to the listeners to say, if you do this one thing, just one thing, it'll move the needle for you, what would that be? Yeah, so this is the advice that I gave all of my clients and anyone that ever spoke with me. And, and part of how I built my business as large as I did is that I was willing to help people understand the value of their home, even if they were nowhere near moving. Because I believe that being educated on the value of all of your assets in real time and as often as possible is absolutely critical to actually building wealth. So the question I would ask is, as your extra credit is, do you know what your home is worth right now better than an online estimate. It's not my recommendation. So Zillow.com is not gospel? Absolutely not. Um, really any automated valuation mechanism can be off by 20% in either direction. Okay, so I, that's more than rounding error. Got I it. would not recommend that for your financial planning. Um, it can be a baseline. Yet the thing is, if, if you own a home and you want to extract the maximum value from it now or in the future, the key is to know the exact reality of the value now and what the gaps are that you could easily take advantage of to realize that full value or close to it. What renovations and upgrades could you make that could net you another $40,000? It could be anything. But knowing your numbers and making those decisions and not waiting until a month before you're ready to list your home, because that's the other thing that can happen later is by then it's too late. And when you need to move, preparing your home for sale, if you want to extract maximum value, can take a matter of several months if you want to do it really well. And that isn't always the case for everyone. So, so to clarify, the extra credit would be to find a local expert real estate agent who can assess the value for you and give you that consultative advice 
that's not something every real estate agent will do, yet many will. And if, if you even needed a recommendation in your area, you could reach out to me and I would connect you with someone. Get that information and start making business decisions about your home. That is spectacular advice and sounds like I need a consultation. So uh, how can folks reach you? Because uh, I know you're everywhere here locally, but um, what is the best way to reach you? Website, phone number, email? Yeah, what um, I'm very active in a lot of different social media formats. So um, you can find me on Facebook by searching Tina Bellavo. You can go to our website, which is thebellavogroup.com. You can email me, tina at thebellavogroup.com. And my cell phone number is 410-812-9070. Tina, thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for educating our audience. And thank you for helping so many people graduate into retirement. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. From this day forward, let us make each decision with our best interests in mind. Let us begin visualizing our dreams and reaching our goals. It's time to take the next steps in our life journey and build our futures. Today, I implore you, don't retire, graduate. Visit our website, don'tretiregraduate.com to download episodes and connect with us on social media. Securities offered through Kestra Investment Services, LLC. Kestra IS, member FINRA, SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Kestra Advisory Services, LLC. Kestra AS, an affiliate of Kestra IS. Kestra IS or Kestra AS are not affiliated with Brotman Financial or any other entity discussed. Welcome change agents to your go-to place for stories that ignite your spirit, fuel your purpose, and connect us all. We believe in the incredible power of the human spirit its boundless resilience, and the inspiration it brings to our lives. On the Driving Change podcast, we'll journey together through the extraordinary yet very relatable experiences of some of the most amazing people on earth. Our mission? That through these stories, we might just spark change within you and awaken a newfound motivation to harness your unique gifts to make a real difference in the world. So get ready to be inspired and join us on this incredible adventure. You can find the Driving Change Podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you love listening to your favorite podcasts.